perpetual traveler through the Bible. Please join me for the next part of my journey through the Scriptures. Stay as long as you like, and let us together discover a bit more about the Bible. Even in the most perfect moral culture that this earth will ever know, man will still love sin. Just cast your mind back to the perfect environment of the Garden of Eden. At that time, there were only two people, and they both chose to sin. And they did it from a state of innocence. So if Adam and Eve chose to sin from a state of innocence, what would humanity do from a state of depravity? It does not matter what kind of world they live in, depraved human beings love sin. And whether Satan is present or absent, it has nothing to do with depravity. People continue to say, the devil made me do it. But that is denying the truth and is a shallow excuse. It is not the devil that makes us sin. It is the devil that creates the system that tempts us. So even if Satan is removed out of this world, there will still be depravity. Man is still going to love sin because it is in his nature. That is the answer to the question that many people have about Revelation 20. Why must Satan be released after a thousand years? What reason is there for a millennium after Jesus comes back? Revelation 20 verses 7 to 10 says the following. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night for ever and ever. A thousand years of peace and blessing is to demonstrate beyond question the fact that we all belong to a fallen race, and everyone is born with a basically evil and depraved nature. Although our society is based on the philosophy that we all have a basically good nature with some potential for evil, Scripture does not teach that. Of course, much of the evil in the world does have its source in the devil, but not all evil comes from the devil. Jeremiah tells us in chapter 17 verses 9 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That is why everyone needs salvation. We are desperate and hopeless without it. There is always the corruption of evil within us and it affects everything that we do. And that is very hard for people to grasp. I see it in my own life. And if you are truthful with yourself, you will see it in yours. I struggle with evil all the time. I know the malice, the selfishness, the impatience, the anger, and other things that are found in me many times. I struggle with the same things that you struggle with. Everybody does, and nobody is exempt from this. When we take a look at our own lives and what goes on in our thoughts, our hearts and our motives, we will have to admit along with Jeremiah that the biblical picture of man is accurate. We are born with a fallen nature. Our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The end of the millennium will prove this to be true. No one will question it from then on. For a thousand years the temptations of the devil will cease when he is removed from the earth. 
He will not stir up these evil tendencies within us any longer. As a consequence, the earth will be greatly improved. Men will live together in peace. There will be no more war. Isaiah 2 verses 4 tells us what it will be like. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Did you notice in that verse that it said that the Lord Jesus shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples? Sin is still going to be there even when the devil is gone. The curse will be lifted from nature. The land and the ground will produce abundantly. There will be plenty of food and beauty and peace. The whole world will be like Mauritius but without the tourists. But there will still be sin and there will still be death. It says so in Isaiah 65 verses 20. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days, for the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. So the life of man will be greatly extended. The animal kingdom will be changed, so that the animals that are now carnivores and predators shall live together in peace. Isaiah 65 verses 25 tells us that. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So these passages from Isaiah tells us that there is still going to be some sin and it will affect the lifespan. Back in Revelation 19 verses 15, which I covered in episode 53 of the Journey Through the Scriptures podcast, it says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. The presence of sin is why Jesus must rule with a rod of iron. However, righteousness will be dominant. Today, evil is the dominating philosophy of the human beings. Righteousness always has had an uphill battle to succeed, but during the Millennium Kingdom of Christ, this shall be reversed. The dominant practice of the day will be justice, peace and purity. Evil will have the uphill battle to express itself, but it will be there. So the judgment of the rod of iron spoken of in Revelation 19 will still be necessary for some. At the end of the thousand years, hiding as far from the central glory in Jerusalem at the four corners of the earth, those who represent Israel's old antagonist will emerge. Even in that utopia, there will still be people who resent the Lordship of Jesus Christ, who will hate His restored nation of Israel. They are called Gog and Magog, because they have the same attitude as the enemies of Israel who are described in Ezekiel's chapter 38 and 39. These are the titles for these enemies of the King of Kings. These are men and women who are not regenerate or born again despite the wonderful, almost perfect world that they live in. The titles of Gog and Magog are significant prophetically. They are mentioned both in Ezekiel 38 and 39 and Revelation 20 and show us that these people demonstrate the same rebellion against God and antagonism towards God as those in Ezekiel 38 and 39. It is similar to someone today calling a person the devil because they are sinful and evil. 
we know that person is not really Satan, but because that person shares similar characteristics, he or she might be referred to as the devil. When Satan is released from the abyss, there will be an immediate response from them. We should not be surprised by Satan emerging again to deceive the nations. That is what his nature is. He is a deceiver. Back in Revelation chapter 12 verse 9, Satan is identified as the deceiver of the whole world. That is his character. That is what he does. So when he comes back, he will deceive people. There is still an evil legacy in man that until he is born again, his base nature remains unchanged. These people immediately respond to Satan's appeal and deception. They march in huge numbers upon Jerusalem to attack it, but they are destroyed with fire coming down from heaven. Satan is thrown into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet have been for a thousand years. That clearly shows that the end of man is not annihilation, as though they disappear into nothing, but they remain alive forever. As it says here in Revelation 20 verses 10, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It is a very sad and tragic picture, but it is certainly clear. Something very important about God's nature is displayed during the millennium. His grace and goodness will be on display continually, but at the end of the thousand years, he will have zero tolerance for rebellion. When it happens, he will show no mercy and offer no second chances. At that time, he will be quick to judge, and the final rebellion of Satan and sinful man will be over in a flash of fire. Now we move on to Revelation 20 verses 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life and the dead were judged about what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. When it says earth and heaven flee away from the presence of the Lord Jesus, this signifies that all of humanity will be removed from earth, and perhaps from the universe as we know it, into eternity itself, where there is no space and no time. That is where judgment will take place. The judge is Jesus, not God the Father. Jesus himself said in John 5 verses 22 that the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So it is Jesus who sits upon this throne of majesty and gathers all dead before him. There will be also some living people from the millennium kingdom who will be there as well, for it needs to be determined whether their names are in the book of life or not. Judgment will be according to what they have done. Deeds always reveal what the heart is like. They reveal belief. Everything is preserved in God's great archive. The whole record of every life is made known before all, and judgment will be based upon that. 
Here we learn that if our name is in the book of life, our deeds will have been righteous. Only those whose names are in the book of life can do righteous deeds. That is the point of this passage. Only the deeds of the righteous will survive the fire of judgment. All other deeds will be consumed to ashes. Only those acts that have been done by the power of the Spirit of God and done for the glory of God will remain. Even the noblest and most impressive acts that have helped many people, if they were done by the power of the self or the glory of the self, then they will vanish without a trace. If our names are not in the book of life, it reveals evil deeds have been done. All the hidden corners of our lives will be scrutinized. Nothing will go unnoticed. On that day, Jesus will judge the hidden motives behind our deeds. He will know if our real reason for service in the church and the community was to glorify God, or if there were motives tainted by selfishness, pride, and the lust for power, influence, and recognition. When Jesus sent out the twelve disciples to minister to other cities and towns in Israel, they came back reporting great success, especially that the demons were obeying them. They could cast evil spirits out of people with just a word, and the demons were subject to them. The reaction of Jesus was not what they expected. Luke 10 verses 20 says, Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This should be the most important question of life. Is my name written in the Lamb's book of life? Your name is written when you believe in Jesus. No one needs to go to the lake of fire for eternity. No one is thrown into it against their will. They have chosen the lake of fire. They have refused the Savior, so there is no other choice. God can only give us the faith that we demand. But what about those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Surely it is unfair that someone should be condemned to an eternity apart from God simply because they never had the opportunity to hear about Jesus. Let us look at Hebrews 11 verses 6 for an answer. Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. God knows the intent and condition of every human being, and He will deal with every individual according to Genesis 18 verses 25. That passage says, Far be it from you, Lord, to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? God only holds us accountable for the light of understanding that we have received. Those of us who have received more revelation are responsible for how we respond to that revelation. Scripture does not really tell us what happens to those who have not heard of Jesus, of the cross and the empty tomb, of the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins. But God will deal in justice and righteousness with them. So the real question for us is, having heard of Him, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Jesus knows our hearts. Nothing has been hidden from His view. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is what 1 John 5 verses 11 to 12 declares. If we come to Jesus, we will be given life. 
The ultimate issues of life are all settled here. If our name is written in the book of life, we enter into eternal life. If we refuse him, then our ultimate fate is the lake of fire, the second death, along with the devil and the beast and the false prophet. We all have been given the choice. What will our answer be? This is David Wiles, your fellow traveler in Christ, and this has been the Journey Through the Scriptures podcast, episode 57.